All right, this morning, as usual, I would invite you to turn in your Bibles as I read to us from Hebrews chapter 11. However, however, you may find it, in fact, easier this morning simply to use your bulletins because at various points I'll be referring to passages that are uh, printed in your bulletin as well. So as you find it most helpful, please follow along in just a moment as I read for us. Last week, we began a new series for the summer, and the name of the series was, it is, There's a Place for Us, a Biblical Theology of Place. And in our first sermon, we focused particularly on God's creation of place. And in one sense, you can speak of his creation of all things, of the universe as a whole, but then you narrow it down. His creation of earth, his creation of land, and then his creation of Eden in particular. And we saw how of all of the places on the earth, God prepared that place particularly. And then he took the man whom he had fashioned and he emplaced him in the Garden of Eden as a dwelling place for the man and then the woman and then subsequent children who would come forth from them. But not only as a dwelling place for them, also a place wherein he would dwell with mankind. It was a, a, a proto-temple, if you will, where God on earth would make his dwelling place with man. But the nature of that place is that it was subject to change. It was subject to corruption. That place had to be guarded. And it had to be guarded in particular by the priest king, Adam, whom God had set in that place in order to do exactly that, and told him, in effect, you need to guard this place. Now, of course, we know the story. In his failure, they, we, lost place. And that's what we're going to be considering today as we consider the theme of being out of place. Let me read for us from Hebrews chapter 11 now, another take on this from the perspective of Scripture I'm going to begin at verse 8 and read through verse 16 this morning. This is the infallible, inerrant, holy word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. 
For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Lord, we thank you for your word in all of its parts, and we pray that you would grant to us a spirit, your spirit, that understands and loves the things that we read in your word and that hungers for them. Jesus, we pray that you would be with us this morning through your spirit and guide us along in truth, and we pray in your name. Amen. All right, I want to begin this morning with a common experience. All of us have, at times in our lives, maybe at some points or at many points, had the sense that we were out of place or, or in the wrong place or that we didn't fit in in the place where we found ourselves. We were somehow different. Maybe we have experienced that at work where we go, I'm just different than all the people who are around here. I don't fit in with them. Maybe you experienced that at school where you feel yourself to be on the outside of the in group, whatever the in group is. Some of us, frankly, have felt that way in our families as well. We look around at our families, the people who are closest to us, and go, I don't feel a place in this place with these people. And you can feel it in a church as well. You can feel it in a church that I'm, I'm just not in place here. That somehow we would be happier, we would be more satisfied in another place with other people in some other situation. And yet, and yet, oftentimes we feel stuck in that place. Stuck in it, even though within the place we feel unsettled. And thus we often find ourselves, perhaps not in the full sense of the term, but at least in our hearts sometimes feeling like displaced persons. Sometimes we even feel that within the place that we call home. We are home in a place that we love and we long to be in some other place. And if ever there was a time when that is true, that is right now. You might love the place of your home, but you long, I guarantee it, to be someplace else along with that place you love. Why? Why? If God created such a world that we saw last week from Genesis of life and of delight, and, and he took us and he specifically placed us within that world, with, within that delight that he had created with his blessing, why do we feel out of place? The answer is that we are, in fact, and this is a phrase I'm going to use throughout the sermon today, we are, in fact, in place out of place. We are in place, out of place. Now, here's what I've got to do today. I'm going to take us through the entire Bible in order to show us that. It'll be fast, but I'm going to take us through the entire Bible to get an idea of what we're talking about today, being 
out of place and why we are out of place. Do not try to follow along with me in your Bibles right now. You can listen online and get the references and do that later if you would like to. But we begin in Genesis chapter 3, unsurprisingly, after the fall, with these words that we read in verse 23. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he has ta was taken. Sent him out. It gets worse in verse 24. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam was set as the guard. He was to guard the garden. Now he is guarded from the garden and driven out as a result of his sin. Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, after Noah, after the flood, the people of the earth are together. And in verse 2 of Genesis 11, we read this. As the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They settled. They sought to put down roots in Shinar. But not only did they seek to put down roots and settle, verse 4, then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. So basically, they get to a place, and they say, let's settle, let's sink down, and let's build up. Let's make this our place. We like this place, and we do not want to be dispersed. Now, of course, if you know the city, uh, the story, you're real, you realize that the plans for that city are not good plans. And the Lord sees that, and he is determined to thwart those plans. And we read in verse 8, So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Okay, they, they were building the city and the tower because they didn't want to be dispersed. And God said, no, 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 that's not what's going to happen. And he dispersed them over the face of the earth. Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls to Abram. And he says to Abram, as we read in Hebrews, I want you to come out of the place where you are and go to the place, the land, and, and I'm going to promise and I'm going to give you that land. So he goes to the place that God has promised to him. And God says, I'm going to give you this land and to your descendants as well. And no more does he get into the land that God has promised for him. So you've got the chosen man, Abraham, going into the chosen place. When we read in Genesis 12, chapter 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. I don't know about you, but I, I find it rather uh, amazing that God, having taken him out of this place, him having obeyed, gone to the particular place, he finally gets there, and at least in short order in terms of the text that we have before us, there's a famine and he's driven out of the place. He has to go and flee down to Egypt. And in fact, Abraham never really possesses any part of the land that, promised, that is promised to him by God until the very end of his life. 
At the very end of his life, when Sarah has died, he goes to the Hittites. He, he's lived amongst the Canaanites, pitching his tent amongst the Canaanites. And he goes to them when Sarah has died, and he says this, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The only place that Abraham owns in the promised land that God has given to him is a gravesite at the end of his life. Prior to that, and in that even, he describes himself as a sojourner and a foreigner. Genesis chapter 35, Jacob. Jacob is promised by God the, the gift that was given to nation, to, to Abraham. Uh, God says to him in Bethel, the place where God meets with him, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. That's a great promise. How does it play out? How does it play out? Well, it plays out like this. Jacob and his descendants end up in Egypt for 400 years. The promise is given to him, and he ends up living in Egypt with all of the descendants for 400 years. So Exodus comes along, and God instructs Moses and says to Moses, I'm going to provide a place for my people. It is the promised place, the place that I promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to give that to my people. And yet, what happens is Moses himself never sets foot in the land, and the generation of that people spend 40 years in the wilderness. They become the wilderness people of God. Now I'll speed up for the rest of the Old Testament. So Joshua leads the people into the place that God has given to them, that God is preparing for them. But of course, within one generation, we get to the book of Judges and we realize that there's no picnics to be had in this place. In fact, in this place, everybody seems to do what is right in their own eyes continuing to speed up through history. By then, the time that we get to the 8th century BC, the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel has gotten to the point where God causes them to be dispersed among the nations. They're conquered, never to be brought together again as a nation. By the 6th century BC, God takes the southern kingdom of Judah, and as a result of their sins, brings the Babylonian Empire down upon them, and they are taken into exile into Babylon. And of course, that's the time at which we read that letter from Jeremiah written to the people in exile. Now, they will come back from that exile, but it will never be easy, and that place will never be fully a resting place. By the time we come to the New Testament, whatever expectations there are of a reconstitution of a geopolitical state place of Israel by the Messiah are undone, particularly with the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Now, prior to that, the church had, ironically enough or expectedly enough, 
experienced persecution in, of all places, Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, the persecution through Saul arises, and there arose on that day, I'm reading from Acts 8, verse 1, there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria. The church, over time, begins to embrace this identity as an identity like unto Israel. Like it, as Israel were exiles, the church is willing to see themselves as sojourners and as exiles. And so, for example, James begins his letter to the 12 tribes that are in the dispersion. Uh, now, if you also want to look on the front of your bulletin, Peter addresses his letter to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. The elect exiles, just like Abraham was chosen by God and had a promised place, but found himself exiled in Egypt and then a sojourner in his own land, Peter says of the church, you are chosen, elect, exiles. And, and he goes on to address them, verse 17 of chapter 1, throughout the time of your exile, this is how you are to conduct yourselves. And then he continues in chapter 2, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And so Peter writes a letter to the church with exactly the same framework that Jeremiah used to write his letter. It's a letter to exiles. It's a, it's a letter to people who live in a place that is not yet their home. And the writer of Hebrews makes it as clear as any that the patriarchs were, verse 13 of the text I read for us already, that the patriarchs were, patriarchs were strangers and exiles on earth, and so are we. And so are we. Abraham went out from a place without a promise, but he had to live in that place as a foreigner. He lived like a pilgrim in the land of the promise. F.F. Bruce said that. He's a self-identified sojourner and pilgrim. Now compare that with what David says. David, by the end of his life, is in what is the greatest... <coughs> Excuse me. Is in what is the greatest time of Israel's history. It is the time when the kingdom is the most secure and under Solomon as well. And at the end of his life, he's got a palace that has been established. He's got a land that's been established. Jerusalem is established as the city, as the capital. And Solomon is going to get ready to build the temple, the place wherein God will dwell with his people. And David prays, and this is what his prayer sounds like. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as well as our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. David recognizes that even at the height of the definition of place, nevertheless, we're sojourners and we're exiles. We live life like a shadow on this earth. There is no abiding for us here. So you've got Abraham and David. 
And when the Son of Man comes, when the Son of Man comes into this world, the one who is the creator of place, the one in whom, for whom, and by whom all things were created, he comes into this world and there is no place for him in the end. That's not an accident. The one who created all things, there's no place for him to be born in this world. And then, of course, the reality is, is that within a very short time, he and his family will be driven out of the land. Because of the persecution, because of fear of death, they themselves will go into exile. They will be sent down into Egypt, forced down into Egypt, along with the rest of God's pilgrim people throughout history. When Jesus comes to the end of his life, when he died, it was not in Jerusalem. It was outside the city, outside the gate, outside the camp. And here's the gospel. He did that to make outsiders fit for the place where he would take them in. That's why Jesus has no place in this world. That's why he dies outside the world to take outsiders and begin to prepare them in him for a place. And so, here's the summary statement from Hebrews. Here, we have no lasting city. Here, on this earth, no lasting city. So why do you experience the feeling, body and soul, of being out of place? I don't fit in, I'm unsettled, I'm restless. The answer is this, because we are in place, that is to say, we are in the place that God has created in which we've been sovereignly placed and cared for in his providence, but we are out of place. We are sojourners, we are exiles, we're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're aliens, and we are looking for another homeland a better country, a new city, another place. Now, there's a lot to say about how do you then live in this place waiting for a next place. And, and there are sermons to come in which I will address that. But for now, I've got three areas for us to reflect on coming out of this as we think about our status as exiles. Here they are. First, we must remember the source of our displacement. The reason that you feel out of place, the reason for our placelessness, why does it exist? It exists because under the overarching sovereignty of God, it exists because of the original sin of our first parents in whom and with whom we also sinned and fell and all of the other transgressions which proceed from it. The expulsion from paradise of, of not only Adam and Eve, but of all of us in them, of humanity, expelled from paradise, whether it's history or it's in art, it is grievous. It is an entrance into and a state of sin and misery. 
It is an entrance into a world that is cursed and deep within our souls. There's a remembrance, a remembrance of a place that used to be. And there's a mourning for its lost and a longing and even a searching for some place where we will experience rest, where we'll experience peace and wholeness and all of the good things of life. But it seems to us to be just out of reach. Have you ever dreamt about it? Have you ever thought about your dream home? We, we, we bring it down to categories we try to think about and, and can get our hands around, and you call it when you do that the American dream. It's the dream of a happy place. It's the dream of a place where you will be satisfied. We imagine that if we were in another place, a better house, a better location, by the water, with trees, or up in the mountains, whatever your vision is. If we were in another place, if we were in another church, if we were in another job, if we were in another school, if we were in another family, if we were in another setting, if we, if we had another family and another life, somehow we would be happier. We'd be more satisfied if we were in some other place. It's a hunger that exists within the human soul. Let me point it out just real quickly in, in secular music. I absolutely hate, and I hope you do too, the song by John Lennon, Imagine, because it's so wrong in so many ways, but there's one thing he's got right, and that is he can taste another world. He can taste something better. He's got everything wrong about it, but he can imagine that there's something out there somewhere over the rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow is a longing for another place. Or the title from West Side Story, there's a place for us somewhere. It's, it's this idea that resides in humanity that there's got to be someplace better. But the reality is this, placelessness is a deeper hole that we have dug ourselves, we as part of humanity, and it won't be filled by the dirt of this present cursed world. Now please understand this, all displacement that humans experience, that continue to be experienced by this world, in this world right now, all displacement is not a result of a sin that we can particularly point to of the person being displaced. That's not true biblically, and it's not true now either. Sometimes it is. Why are Adam and Eve outside of the garden? Because of the sin. Why did Babylon come and conquer the uh, southern kingdom of Judah? Well, because of their sin. But you can't do that all the time. You, you can't, for example, say that the church experienced its diaspora because of sin that was going on. But you can say this, you, you can't always ascribe it to one particular sin, but you can say it all goes back to original sin and all the fact that we have been expelled from paradise. And so when you feel displacedness, what you are feeling is the fact that you're not in paradise 
that you are not in that place, and the reason for it is our common sin. Second, I have in the last two sermons put us in something of a linguistic and an actual tension with the phrase in place, out of place, which I find very parallel to the idea of being elect exiles. Or there's one phrase that I haven't used because I haven't wanted your mind to be filled with it, is in the world, but not of it. Okay? In place, out of place. The pull on the one hand of living in and loving this beautiful world that God has created. And it is still beautiful and it's still great. And the pull on the other side is that we feel out of place because this is such a sad world. And when you feel those two pulls in your life, it gives you a proper footing for life as a sojourner. For life as a sojourner. So that when the derecho whips in and it, and it tears apart a tree, a tree that you prepared the place for that tree. You thought about what tree would look particularly great in that particular place. And it's ripped apart by the winds that come in in five minutes and it's gone. And you've prepared it and you've selected it and you've purchased it and you've transported it and you've dug and you've cared for it and you've pruned it. And you've loved that tree and it's gone in five minutes. The in place, out, out of place idea helps us to understand what to do. It guides us in the sense that we're out of place. When we see the tree that we've loved, that we've enjoyed, torn apart, you mourn. And not the same way you mourn for the loss of a loved one, but you mourn, you grieve the fact that in this world, things get torn apart. Things that you love get torn apart and you consider the fallen nature of the world, the uprootedness of the world, and you long for a better place. You long for a better country. You long for a place where that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Placelessness is a gift from God. When you feel it, it is a gift because what it calls us to is a longing. It calls us to a hope. It says to you, you're not home yet. Don't get confused. You're in place, but you're out of place. You are not home yet. Long for the world to come. That's what the people of God do. That's why they are so often out of place, even though God has promised it. Then secondly, you're in place. And so you mourn the loss of a tree, but you don't sit there and say, well, you know what? What's the sense of planting trees in a world where there's derechos and a world we're going to be departing at some point anyway? No, no, no. You're in place, in the place wherein God has put you. And so you clean it up. You clean it up and you think through, is there a tree that would survive the wind better than that one? And then you take delight in planting the new tree in place and you put it there. 
Uh, let me, let me, if, if that's too much for you in terms of the derecho in a tree, which obviously I'm talking from personal experience over the past couple of weeks uh, in talking about that, think about it on biblical terms. Think about the exile again. The psalm says this, by the waters of Babylon, we sat down and we wept. Okay? You weep, you mourn when you're out of place. That's what you do. Jeremiah's letter, though, says something different than weeping and mourning. Jeremiah's letter says, hey, you're out of place, but you're in the place where God has put you. So what do you do when you're out of place, in place? Jeremiah gives the answers. Build houses. Live in the houses. Plant gardens. Eat the produce. Have families. And he goes through generation, yours, the next generation, and the next generation. What do you do? You, you, you weep on the one hand, that's biblical. You mourn for out-of-placeness, and then you recognize that God has placed you, God has stationed you, and you act accordingly. Finally, in displacement, we have to behold the purposes of God. You have to see, we have to see what God is doing here. Just take two biblical reference points for it. One, Genesis chapter 11, Babel. Their plan is to stay in one place. God's command from the beginning was what? Fill the earth. Fill the earth. And so God takes their evil plans and says, that's not what we're going to do. I'm going to spread my people out. I'm going to spread people out over all of the earth. And so he disperses the people who otherwise wanted to stay in one place. Acts chapter 8, look at it with the church. So the church is dispersed. They undergo persecution. Nobody thinks persecution in and of itself is a good thing, right? But they go to Judea and Samaria. That is because in the beginning... We hear the words, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And, and the point is, in the dispersion, exactly what I told you would happen is going to take place. Dispersion, by the way, that word is th through seeds, throwing out the seeds. That's what, that, that's what it means, scattering the seeds. And that's what God is doing, even in these situations where we feel like there can't possibly be any good. Out of me being displaced out of this, there is, because God is able to do that in this world. In fact, his intention is this. The intention of the Father is to give the Son a faithful kingdom. He says, Psalm 2 of the Son, I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. I'm going to give you the ends of the earth. I'm going to give you all of the nations of the earth. And so displacement, being out of place, is a call then actually to go where the end of Psalm 2 instructs us, and that is to go to the one who has created place and for whom all place has been created, because as the psalm ends, blessed are those who take refuge in him. In him, a refuge. We live in him. He is the hiding place for all who feel out of place. Hebrews 13, verse 13, 
It ends this way. Let us go to him, that is to Jesus, outside of the camp. Let us endure the things, the rebukes that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Father, we thank you for the way that you sovereignly work in this world, working out your purposes despite our sin and even through it. Lord, we pray that you would continue to do so, that you would scatter us exactly to the places where you would have us to be, and that there, wherever those places are, however big they are, however small they are, we would live faithfully for you, and we would look for another place. Don't ever let us, Lord, be too comfortable in this world, be too at home in this world so that we don't long for the next. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you and to look for your return in the place you have prepared for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this